Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. Twice a week, Musa and I talk about the goings-on in men's and women's football around Europe and sometimes around the world. We like to zoom in, we like to zoom out, we like to make some silly references. So if you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Think we got it? Yeah, that's good. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Preview Show. My name is Danny Heifetz. I am joined by Stephen Ariz and Ben Solak, and we are coming to you every Friday to preview the weekend's NFL games. And first up, we have the game plan where Solak and Stephen are going to cosplay as the coaching staffs on the biggest game of the week. And this week, that is the 7-1 Minnesota Vikings are traveling to the 6-2 Buffalo Bills. And the Bills are simultaneously the Super Bowl favorites and also kind of reeling a little bit. So it's a weird game. This is also the Twitter game of the week. So the Ringer NFL Twitter account will be live tweeting that. You can check that out. Steven's going to be Sean McDermott, head coach of the Buffalo Bills. I feel like I've never seen Sean McDermott smile during an NFL game. But Steven, I feel like you also are not actually happy very often watching NFL games. I feel like you're just yelling a lot. It depends on which quarterback I'm watching. If it's like Pat Mahomes or Josh Allen, I'm smiling the whole time. Yeah, well, I, I feel like Sean McDermott still doesn't even smile when he gets to watch Josh Allen, so I don't know. When he you're just... a defensive head coach, you're not allowed to be happy. That's the rules. Name name one happy defensive head coach. <laughs> well, wow. Robert Sala. Yeah. So that, I, I, I will accept, like, I don't know if that's happy. That's more just like amped, jacked, juiced up, but yeah, I will accept it because he is definitely a more effusive defensive head coach. But, like, on the pantheon of, like, Belichick's, Bowles's, McDermott's, Staley's, right? Like, even Staley, just, like, all the time, just like looking angry. It's part of being a defensive head coach. He's not the uh, uh, happiness is for the offense. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Sean McDermott's always reminded me of like the head of a great house from Game of Thrones. He's always just reminding people that winter are coming and just very hardened. But I can't make Game House of McDermott. References. Yeah, House McDermott, exactly. All right, so so like you're going to be Kevin O'Connell, head coach of the Vikings, which works because you have like the baby face. Not like Kevin O'Connell's got the jawline, but you're you you could, could look at his son. Yeah, I am of the opinion that it's a, an important thing for every offshoot of the McVeigh tree to have one defining one uh, like clear aesthetic characteristic McVeigh with the hair LaFleur with the beard Shanahan with the beard O'Connell with the jawline you have to have like a thing that you you that is your handsome handsomeness index kind of you know uh, a barometer. is that why Zach Taylor sucks <laughs> yes that is exactly the correct end of that is because he just looks like me just, oh my god all right so let's get into this game so again this is an odd game but this is to me the biggest part of this week Josh Allen has this UCL injury in his elbow. He's, you know, in baseball, they fix this with Tommy John. I still don't really understand how quarterbacks can just play through this in pitchers. It's like you're out for 18 months. But for whatever the reason is, we'll see if Josh Allen plays this week. Sean McDermott, not a smiling guy. He has not answered whether Josh Allen has even thrown a football this week. We don't know the deal, but if Josh Allen's out, he's accounted for 23 of their 25 touchdowns between throwing and rushing himself. He has accounted for a higher percentage of his team's touchdowns and a higher percentage of his team's yards than any quarterback in the entire league. So, Steven, I'm curious. If Josh Allen misses this game and Case Keenum is the starter for the Bills, does the Bills' offense even look like the Bills' offense? I don't even think they try to make it look like the Bills' offense. I think they try to play a different type of game. I, I don't think they're going for offensive efficiency or even firepower at that point. I think it's just surviving the week and and 
shortening the game, I guess, would be the uh, the strategy I would think they would take with Case Keenum back there instead of Josh Allen. And I think that's possible against a Vikings defense that kind of allows you to play that brand of, of offense. They'll give you underneath stuff. They'll give you a lighter box in the run game even. Uh, I think they could survive without Josh Allen. I think there's enough around him, enough around the quarterback position. I have enough faith in the coaching staff to come up with a good game plan. Uh, I, I, I would still pick Buffalo, even with Josh Allen not behind center for this game. So again, so Josh Allen, he's just such a massive part of what they do. But the Vikings defense, they actually have allowed a first down on a higher percentage of their drives than any team. Like they actually are allowing a first down on eight at four out of every five drives that the Vikings defense mm-hmm. faces. So, so like when you see that Josh Allen's not going to play for the Bills, what are you doing? Jumping jacks? Are you just like, do you like, do you sacrifice a goat to whatever? I don't know. Viking Norse gods this week to make sure he doesn't play. Cause it's a huge difference in game planning for case Keenum, right? I mean, I'm probably holding on to my goat in case I'm like, uh, there's another future starting quarterback that I can get to play the backup. If they play Case Keenum, this is the ninth game the Vikings have played. It will be the fourth backup quarterback they've faced. You can't do that. They got to be, they're, they're doing some sort of goat sacrificing when you get that, that, that level of luck, right? But look at the teams that they caught. Like, all right, oh, they lost to the Eagles in week two. Yeah, they got the Dolphins with their backup quarterback in. They got Washington with their backup quarterback. They're like, that's like kind of a little different in terms of, you know, Washington's backup is probably better. And they got the Saints backup quarterback in. That Miami game was a huge game for them. They won that game 24 to 16. You're telling me the the defense that gives up the most first downs per drive or the most drives that give up at least one first down would have held this Dolphins defense to 16 points that Tua was playing? So they, they their record, which I think a lot of people know to be a little bit paper tigery, uh, has a lot to do with playing backups. And here they are getting... Uh, the Buffalo Bills and, and a potential spot, like you said, with Josh Allen being such a critical part of the way that they, this team scores. When you go and you look at, at red zone touchdown percentage, like how often teams actually score touchdowns when they're inside the 20, the Bills are below average. This is in, in terms of red zone, red, red zone efficiency. This is one of the worst offenses in the league. They just don't get into the red zone because Allen scores from outside of the red zone. They score throwing the ball into the end zone from the 25, from the 30, from like even the 15 when they do score in the red zone. When they get inside the 10, this is not a very good scoring offense because they struggle to run the football with power, right? They don't they don't have the, the necessary bodies at tight end and wide receiver to get and like move you off line of scrimmage. So Minnesota's very like bend but don't break style of defense, it works if there's no Josh Allen because you Case Keenum will throw his passes. He's a vet. He's been around. Get some yards after the catch. Stephon Diggs will be nice. And then they'll get to the 15 and they don't know what to do without Josh Allen down there. And I think that you're in a spot where you could see the Bills scoring a lot of threes instead of a lot of sevens and Minnesota can outpace them. So I, this is to me, like I disagree with Steven. I think if there's no Josh Allen, this is, I think is hugely to the Vikings benefit. I think they win the game. I, I don't think it matters. I think the red zone issues are the red zone issues, whether Josh Allen or, or Keenum is, is out there because they don't use him as a runner in the, in the red zone, really. I mean, they use them, but not as much as they, I think they will use them when the games start to matter a little bit more. Like this, that is a concern for this game. It's not a concern for me over the long haul. I don't think, I think the Bills are trying to get to January with their team intact, which they've had, they've had a lot of trouble doing so far. But we saw even last year, they didn't, they weren't using Josh Allen as a runner as much early on in the year. And then when we got to December, we got to January, they unleashed him and every, I think things changed. Uh, I think that's going to be the same case this year. I, I'm not worried about the red zone offense. And I all, and for that same reason, I don't really think that Josh Allen's absence makes as much of a difference. Now, obviously, he's he's freaking Josh Allen, and that changes how you can play defense. But I think the game is going to be closer if Josh Allen doesn't play. I still think it's, I don't think it's like a blowout. I don't think it's, I think it's going to be competitive, even if it is Case Keenum, because yeah. like I said, I think, I think there's an avenue for, like an easily accessible avenue for Buffalo to play the type of game they need to play to win it without Josh. What Allen. is that avenue? Because so is it? First of all, Stephon Diggs. This is the first time he's played the Vikings since they traded him. That Justin Jefferson Diggs trade is like probably one of the best trades win win ever. It's also weird that Case Keenum and Diggs are both former Vikings and they have the Minneapolis Miracle and they're playing the Vikings now, and that's odd. But what's that avenue for the like? What is the Bills' offense like? What is that path to win? I think it's like what I said. I think it's just quick passing. I think it's it's leaning on the run game against the team. I said earlier that they'll give you a light box. I think they have the the highest light box rate of any defense in the NFL, according to SIS, uh, and they have the lowest uh, loaded box rate, obviously. 
So if the Vikings come out and play their typical style of defense, which, I mean, they could change it if Josh Allen's not back there, but if they do and they they give up some running lanes that may not be there against other teams and they give up the underneath passes that I think that Case Keenum can complete on his own, I think there's a chance for the offense to stay on the field long enough to keep the Vikings' offense off the field. I am more worried about this matchup for the Bills' defense against this Vikings' offense, but I I think they're going to have a game plan that mitigates that problem, that keeps their offense on the field and keeps their defense off the field. So, look, I'm curious what you think about the Vikings' offense in this game because you mentioned that the Vikings look like a paper tiger. And to your point, so on one hand, the Vikings literally have the second best record in the league, and they've only lost to the team with the best record in the league, the Eagles. They have a four-game lead in the division, which is like by far the biggest division lead. And yet, they have not won a game by more than eight points since week one. And then also, Austin Gale, who is also on the NFL show here, this is my favorite Viking stat this season. On obvious passing situations, so second or third down, more than seven or more yards to go. Obvious passing situations. Kirk Cousins is literally the worst quarterback in the NFL in expected points per dropback. So is it crazy to look at the 7-1 team and be like, I don't think the Vikings are a legit Super Bowl contender. Like, am I wrong for thinking that? I don't think so. When I when I go to list the the teams that can win the Super Bowl right now, I get from like the top of the league down to right above the Vikings. And I'm like, all right, I've reached the water's edge, right? It's kind of a little bit. It's the, uh, it's the inflection point for me in terms of the tiers of the NFL. The Kirk Cousins stat is really important i watched the i watched four games of kirk cousins today two of which i'd already seen trying to really figure out like is he better than he was and i just i'd like i there are five (laughs) plays a game where i just want to be like what in god's name are you thinking he's so good for 35 plays that's too many doesn't drop back that much he's so good for 25 plays and then there's five plays where like he like has been taking a check down. He's been like throwing underneath. And then like the check down is there again. But like Irv Smith is running wide open 20 yards down the field on a corner route. And he just doesn't take him. Oh, what are you doing? And then the very next play, it's like contested double cover ball to Adam Thielen in the same route. You're like, what are you looking at this? He would make so much more sense if he were a rookie. It'd be so easy to understand him. If he, he's like, oh, yeah, the guy just doesn't get the coverage rotations. Like, we don't need, it's a little bit confusing. He's like, what, like a, a nine, 10, 10 year vet almost at this point? And then, like, the, so, if you point these things out, the Vikings fans will push back against you and be like, oh, you're just like, these are caricatures of Kirk Cousins' game. He's a caricature of a quarterback. Like, th- these things matter when they matter. And that's when he fails. Like, on obvious passing situations, that's when you win football games and he, does not come through in those situations. That's why I think there's a lower perception of him by people like me and Solak than there are like Vikings fans who are like, oh, well, look at the stats. He's not even performing well in the stat sheet this year. Like that's the one thing that's changed. And if you look at like the coverages they're facing, I think that explains like 90% of it. They're just not seeing cover three at the rate they saw it last year when Kirk was seeing it at one of the highest rates in the league. Now he's seen it at one of the lowest rates. They're seeing a lot of cover two, a lot of cover four. And guess what? Those play-action passes don't work as well against him. That's why people are so critical of Kirk Cousins and not willing to buy into him because he needs certain situations, whether it's the defense or the offensive play call, to be a good quarterback. And when he doesn't get him, he's a mediocre quarterback, as he has been this year for the most part. Yeah, this is a really important note. This, so if we go, like, you know, like Kirk is is a frustrating guy, but he is what he is. When we go to evaluate the Vikings Super Bowl contention realities, and we you know, kind of go trickle down to the rest of the of the offense. Kevin O'Connell is doing a wonderful job. He really, really is. Uh, Justin Jefferson doing, you know, Justin Jefferson stuff. He looks awesome. So much of their success when throwing to Jefferson comes when they can get a team into, into a single high look. When they can get a team into cover one and they get man across the board, you run your rub routes, you run your pick routes, you put Jefferson in a bunch, they try to press Jefferson, you get him off the line freely, and then it's Jefferson in space. It's awesome. You get cover three look, and they, what they'll do is, this is like a classic Rams solution, right? Kevin O'Connell coming from that Rams tree. The thing we're, we, we want to get you into cover three, we're going to condense the splits, right? We're going to bring the receivers into the center of the formation. Makes it hard for you right now 
to play uh, with, with inside leverage or play manned up. Because now, like Justin Jefferson, he's like alone on the backside, but since he's tight to the formation, he's got a two-way go. He can break out and he can break inside. So you start to play with outside leverage with a single high safety. Cut, cut, cut receiver, you have to. There's not a lot you can do. It's tough to play quarters. It's tough to play true man. Like That's a hard thing to handle. So you go play cover three, and then they just run in breakers so the cows come home. I mean, it, it, right. it's, yeah. it's simple, but it works, especially with the receiver as talented as Jefferson and a quarterback in Kirk who's willing to do it. So... They have a good answer with Jefferson. The one thing that really stands out, like if Danny, you told me right now, the Vikings won the Super Bowl, how? I'd say, oh, that offensive line dominated for, for a whole month because the, the most impressive thing I see to them that like surprises me is how well that group up front is playing. Rookie Ed Ingram has just hopped in at right guard. To me, he's an above average starter already. Brian O'Neill, probably one of the 10 best tackles in the league, probably one of the five best right tackles in the league, doesn't get talked about. Christian Derrissaw, above average starter. Garrett Bradbury, a player with warts, absolutely, but an above-average starter, in my opinion. Ezra Cleveland is the only guy left guard that I look at and I go, yeah, he's just, you know, fine, whatever. But four out of five, to me, they're plus starters. And then they get Johnny Munt, that old blocking tight end, 86 have been there. That's a whole other tackle. He's awesome, man. He's very important to their running game. So this line, when they when they really dominate on offense, like that Cardinals game, that, that Bears game early, it's because the line is just honking. They're just killing dudes off the line. Uh, I don't know if that can continue against elite fronts, Buffalo is a good test, right? Real big penetration style front. I think it can. And another reason I like Minnesota in this game is because I think even with like Dalvin Cook not looking at 100%, I think they can run the ball pretty well. Uh, so Minnesota's front, I think, deserves its flowers for their start. That's why I said that I was more I was more concerned about this matchup for the Buffalo defense than I was the offense because of that. And if you watch last week, like the Jets had a lot of success attacking that, that front using, and I know Milano didn't play, but there, you're able to use motion and stuff and to get like Teron Johnson fitting an A gap. I think that there aren't a lot of offensive coordinators that are going to be able to take advantage of this Buffalo front because of that stuff, the static nature of it, I would say. But this coaching tree, I do think, is able to do that. And they're kind of like on a gauntlet of, of Shanahan teams. Like they played Green Bay, which had some success running against them. They played the Jets, mm-hmm. which also had success running against them, and now they're playing Minnesota. I, I think we're going to see similar results. Like we've kind, of, we kind of saw some shakiness with that defense against teams with limited passing games. Now I think, like we've said, Kirk Cousins is limited, and the passing game is limited as a result. But this is the best passing game of the three they faced for the last three weeks during this little Shanahan McVay gauntlet they're running. Okay, so you guys are both picking yourselves. Solak's taking the Vikings. Steven's taking the Bills. Okay, that'll be fun. And again, we'll see if Josh Allen. Well, okay, play. that's that's assuming no Josh Allen. I like to make yeah, it very assuming- clear that in the event Josh Allen plays, I select the Buffalo Bills to win the football game. I'm taking Buffalo Bills either way. I respect that, Stephen. This episode of the Ringer NFL Show is brought to you by State Farm. All right, football fans, the good neighbors over at State Farm wanted me to let you know that you really don't have to get that personal to get the personal price plan. Seriously, there's no need to tell anyone that you still sleep in an old school pair of your team's pajamas or that you have a breakfast ritual on game days that you insist results in a win. I have a lot of superstitions that I have to use to make sure the Giants win. Like I have to do like a make a little X in front of the television so that the other team's kickers miss the field goal. And everyone laughs at me, but guess what? Then Justin Tucker missed a field goal against the Ravens. Like, those are the things I have to do. Apparently, everyone says that's too personal. Whatever. That's right. The State Farm Personal Price Plan simply helps you create an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com today to create your State Farm Personal Price Plan. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up with the promo code RINGERNFL. This week, week 10, I like the Seahawks. The Seahawks, I don't know why they are underdogs again. I didn't know why they were underdogs last week against the Cardinals. I don't know why they're underdogs against the Bucks. Maybe it's the time zone thing. If you have to start talking about time zones to decide why a team is an underdog, I'm going to take them. That's not a good enough reason for me. Give me Seattle. Give me the points. Give me the money line. Give me everything. FanDuel has tons of betting options for each game. You can combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So sign up today with the promo code RINGERNFL for your no-sweat first bet. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund is issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. The Tennessee red line is 1-800-889-9789 Tennessee. 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off and also celebrating the people who drink Crown Royal during games. I know I like to have some around whenever I'm taking in a basketball game, an NBA game. Always good to have around. And Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. Let's get to Monday morning headlines because Steven and Solak are good at predicting what happens on games, but they're really bad at writing headlines. So we just improving at writing headlines. You got a good one. Developing. Hey, hey, first of all, Roman holiday. Did I not nail that? That was terrible. No one gets nobody knew the reference right now. No one listening. That's your fault. I'm sorry. You guys aren't cultured. I'm sorry. You guys aren't cultured and and don't know, have a, a grasp on on film. In cinema history, that's not my Steven, fault. Steven, you're the only person that thinks of the Ravens and is like, yeah, the headline's going to be about Greg Roman and not Lamar Jackson. It should always you're the be only about one. Greg Roman. So let's give you a try right here. So the Seahawks are playing the Buccaneers. This game is the one in Germany. I once again just don't understand anything. The Bucs are favored by like two and a half points. I just, I, I thought, that, I just don't get it. Uh, maybe I'm just dumb, but I once again don't understand who is favored in this game and with the Seahawks and why. But Steven, who do you think wins Seahawks Bucks and what is the headline on Monday morning? Why why'd you have to start with this one? This is not the good headline I had. Oh, I, <laughs> I didn't even know. Oh, you want to go to you want to go to a different game? You want to go to your good headline? No, no, we could do this okay. game. I went with the I went with the meme the the meme option, which I created. Like the, you never we never had a, a option to do a meme instead of a headline. But here's my meme from the game. Okay. It's the handshake emoji format. And it's how many games will Tampa Bay lose this season? Handshake, did the Bucks beat the Seahawks in Germany? And then the, the bottom line is, <laughs> is, is nine. Because nine means no in Germany. <laughs> and they're going to go eight and nine after they lose this. That's actually a good meme. Look at <laughs> That's actually pretty You're good. You're dumb. But honestly, I think Seattle's going to win this. And I think the difference is that Seattle has play calling flexibility, which a thing that we've been talking about on this pod a lot on early downs and like playing this Bucks defense before in the past, it like was a scary proposition because they like force you to be one dimensional because you couldn't run on them. And a lot of teams were afraid to run on them and didn't even try. And the teams that were stubborn and tried to run on them just failed miserably. And then once you, you start losing early down, early downs to Todd Bowles, that's when he starts to get nasty with like the, the pressures and the blitzing and the man coverage and all that stuff. And that's when he's like gets in his bag. Their run defense isn't as scary as it used to be. And I think the Seahawks are going to be able to run on them. I think they're going to be able to avoid putting Geno Smith in obvious pass situations. I think he'd be fine in them, but that's not what you want to do against a Bulls defense. So I think the early down matchup, Seattle will win and that will help them win the game. And on the other side of the ball, I just like, I've lost all faith in the Bucks offense. I don't, I don't think we can count on them to score more than 20 points in a game now. I think that's fair. You know the movie Snowpiercer? Well, mild spoiler, but basically there's a point where all the, the guards have like assault rifles and then one of the prisoners realizes that they have no bullets left and everyone's like, oh, get them! We can't make Audrey Hepburn references, but we can make Chris Evans references. That wasn't in a headline. Snowpiercer was originally something that was not Chris Evans. I don't know what it was, but... Anyway, my point being, I agree with you about the Bucks' run defense and that it just completely having fallen off from this year. And uh, again, 
I don't get how the Seahawks are not favored in this game. The Bucs looked abysmal for the entirety of that Rams game. I mean, the Rams look awful. And then Tom Brady basically had that one great drive at the end last week. Meanwhile, the Seahawks, I, I, I don't know. They just consistently look good. I know we just had this conversation last week against the Cardinals, but then they beat the Cardinals. I don't know. Suckers. Suckers. Suckers exist. They see Tom Brady's playing Geno Smith, and they're like, oh, I'm going to put some money on the Bucs. The other thing is the, the travel aspect of this is a really big deal. Uh, and 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 uh, the the body clock, like how far ahead the body clocks are going to be, and like the the how early you go over, and kind of how you acclimate and, and get ready. Like playing in Munich, huge difference. Pete Carroll's historically been pretty good on the East Coast. Pete Carroll understands how to prepare his team for moving ahead on, on time, and I like that for playing this game in Germany, which is really like uncharted waters. Like London is one thing, you know, most teams have only done it one, one or maybe even two times. Now hopping all the way to Germany is a very very big deal. I like how Pete Carroll has. I think enough coaching experience to get prepared for that moment and for that change because it's a huge part of performance. Your team, they're going to be up and ready for this game. You're playing at freaking whatever West Coast time. It's like 12 hour difference. Crazy. Solak doesn't know geography. You don't know geography. Uh, Pro Football Talk just posted a story about how, though it seems like Germany is a lot further away from Seattle, given the, the roundness of the earth, it's actually the same distance to Tampa Bay. It's like a similar distance, a similar flight. Wow. I will. The that's nice, but the three-hour time zone difference between Seattle and Tampa Bay also matters a little bit, despite the distance re, uh, re, relativity. Did we just assume that the Earth was not flat? Maybe I don't know. Maybe Solak is a flat earther. No, I wouldn't like to make it clear that I associate myself with none of Ky- Kyrie Irving's theories on anything. Flat earthing being one of the main ones. Are we confirmed that Tom Brady does think the Earth is round? Like, do we know that for a fact? No, but isn't Geno Smith, like, doesn't he flirt with, like, the flat earth theory? Like, wasn't there a tweet about him <laughs> Wait, agreeing with Kyrie back? So maybe maybe his, inter- Holy his body... Oh, my God. Geno Smith said it. Maybe with... Oh, my God. He did. So maybe he won't get the adjustment, and that's why the Geno Smith, February 24th, 2018. I've been studying this whole flat earth versus globe thing. And, dot, dot, dot. And I think I may be with Kyrie on this. Dot, dot, dot. Before you judge, do some HW. <laughs> but what do you guys think? That's it. That's oh, engagement farming. That. That, no, 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 no. That was his social team being like, let's get these numbers up. To be clear, Gina Smith said, I find it funny how you all assume I believe the earth is flat, lol. I just think you guys should have an open mind. I, I disagree with that point that we should have an open <laughs> mind. The earth is round. But he never came out and said that he agreed, that he, that he does agree. He's like, I, 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 you know, he's, he's raising some good points, which that's the kind of you never confident. say that about Kyrie Irving. It's the kind of confidence you need, though, to like be an NFL backup for like eight years and come back and just be a great starter. All right. So we'll see how that affects you. Know, theory. I have a theory. Gino realized the earth was round and that adjusted like how he throws the football. And that's why we've seen this late career <laughs> breakout. Mm, now we're cooking with gas. It's like Jameis getting the eye surgery. <laughs> it's like the lasik Jameis. All right. All right. Let's go on to the next game here before we get fired. Uh, the Cleveland Browns are playing the Miami Dolphins. The Browns. I don't know if it's, as Bill would say, a kitchen sink game, but they're three and five. If the Browns win this game, they're like five times more likely to make the playoffs than if they lose because four and five and three and six is a huge difference. So like, who do you think wins Browns Dolphins? And what do you think the headline is Monday morning? Although except a meme from Monday morning too. Yeah. Well, I, I deployed the old, I'm not entirely sure who wins. So I'm going to pick who I think wins based off of the easier headline to write. Oh. So in this case, because I do think it's going to be a very close game. I think it's going to be a very high scoring game. I have the Browns winning this. I do think that like there's a desperation aspect to the Browns that's important. I also think that this uh, Dolphins defense been struggling with the injuries that they've had over the last few weeks, and particularly with the way they, they like to play coverage. Right, this is a very heavy man coverage team that's been like playing Cater Kohu and 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 Noah Igbenogany and Keon Crossan, and they're just they're 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 running out of depth. Jacoby Brissett's been pretty good against man coverage this year: 15th in EPA per dropback, 14th in yards per attempt, and so. Cleveland Browns win, and the headline reads, Jacoby Briquette, because he's on fire, and he passes the ball very well, and the, the Browns <laughs> win the game. Jacoby Briquette is on fire? Yes, because Briquettes are fire. Well, I, are fuel, but regardless. Okay. Uh, I didn't. I, didn't, I don't know what Briquette means, so that, that's lost on me. You got to write for like your audiences like in what? What is it, third grade? I forget what they teach you in journalism school. You know what a, like a charcoal Briquette is? No, I feel like Briquette's got yeah. at least some some run. I feel like that I mean, that land on most people, especially among football fans. I feel like Briquette, you know, on like, right, the grill football fan yeah. Venn diagram. I feel like it's a pretty strong one. 
I'm curious. This game, it's weird because I feel like the the Dolphins, obviously, their passing offense has been fantastic this year. And then the Browns, it's just, it, I feel like it's been a very, like, Nick Chubb-oriented offense. Like, if styles make fights, I'm kind of curious what you think, Solak, because I, these mm-hmm. teams, I feel like stylistically are completely opposite, but they also kind of have a lot of, like, structural philosophical similarities. Is that fair? I, I think these are, we're at, we're at, like, two ends of, of the branches here, right? If we're talking about, like, kind of the Shanahan shared base, like, just when, whenever I try to think of like offensive similarities, I always first go to like what personnel packages do you get on the field and what formations are you in with those packages? And just like the Browns are going to be multiple tight ends and condense and the Dolphins are going to be a single tight end, multiple receivers and spread. Even when the, when the Dolphins go to run the football, they don't get in the same formations that the Browns do when the Browns go to run the football, right? Where the Browns are going to have an extra tight end with his hand in the dirt. Like you saw them bring in against the Bengals, like extra offensive linemen in short yardage situations. The Dolphins don't do this. They'll bring the receivers in tight, but they're not going to take uh, Tyreek and Jalen Waddle off the field. They're not going to remove the presence of that threat from the huddle. The Browns don't care about the wide receiver room. Conversely, when the Browns go to throw the football, certainly with Jacoby a little bit more than in years past, they'll go gun and they'll spread things out a little bit. Um, but to me, again, like they're not getting into the same route tree, the same the same concepts the way the Dolphins are. Like this is very, in my opinion, they, they, we're we're seeing a pretty like Stefanski pretty quickly split off of like your your Shanahan McVay model because he was never actually under those guys. He was under Kubiak, right? Yeah. That that was who inspired that offense in Minnesota. Just like the Mike Shanahan tree. Yeah, his offensive line coach there is also Bill Callahan, right? And Callahan's kind of this like OG of like, hey, we can run anything under the sun. Miami is extremely basic in their running game. Cleveland is very diverse in their running game. Here's here's why I brought this up, and this is my question. You've written great stuff about the Dolphins' offense this year. So Tyree kills on pace for not even just two thousand yards. If you just look at the games where two is finished, like twenty five hundred receiving yards, basically on a full game, like it's insane. But Mike McDaniel coming from the Shanahan system, that it's like yards after the catch, right? It's like get guys the ball off the ball mm-hmm. in space. And the Niners this season under Kyle Shanahan are first in yards after the catch, and the Jets who basically took their offensive coordinator from Kyle Shannon, are second in yards after the catch. The Dolphins are 28th in yards after the catch. They have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, and they're 28th in yards after the catch. What? How? Underthrows. Because oh, yeah. every time they do it, throws Tyreek the so, ball, he has to like, fall down to catch right. it. All Tua, Miami fan, Tua non-bullying, slash joking, slash poking fun aside, the number one reason that the Dolphins don't have as many yards after the catch per reception as a lot of these other Shanahan offenses do is because of Tua's underthrows and inaccuracy. Tua is generally a very accurate quarterback. He's really accurate throwing side to side, like left to right. He tends to be really, really good. When he's throwing vertical, when he's throwing to a guy moving down the field, in the moments in which his arm strength is tested and in the moments in which his arm strength isn't, he tends to underthrow guys, right? That, like, this is just now, it's not like an arm strength joke. It's just like functionally, like Jalen Waddle on the potential like game-winning dagger play against the Bears, he's like 30 yards down the field. Like, Tua absolutely has the arm to hit him over the outside shoulder, and he doesn't because he just tends to underthrow these extremely fast receivers. So it makes it challenging, but these extremely fast receivers and they're on vertical planes. So that's number, or vertical routes, excuse me. That's number one. Number two is also the Dolphins don't run the offense in the exact same way. Uh, Shanahan uh, with 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 Jimmy and with his particular receivers he when he hits middle of the field he hits a depth of target that's like 8 to 14 yard range right so when they're working that like middle of the field everything breaking to the inside run after the catch they're a little bit shallower right they're kind of like in the the right there like they, again like 10 to 12 yards probably like that average depth of target for those middle of the field crossing patterns that's just like me making up the number i don't know if that's exactly correct but generally it's a little bit more shallow in years past the team that like pushes it a little bit further down the field when they're hitting that area were the Tennessee Titans under Arthur Smith and with Ryan Tannehill quarterback. And that made sense because Tannehill was bigger. He could stay in the pocket for longer. He could throw the ball with more velocity and because the receivers weren't as fast but were bigger. And so it was like, all right, we don't want the yak as much. We'll just kind of five-step drop, sit in the pocket for a second. We'll throw this in-breaking route at 15 yards. And we'll just ask A.J. Brown to be big, Julio Jones to be big, Corey Davis to be big, so on and so forth. In Miami with Mike McDaniel, the most impressive thing that has happened, period, is the fact that Mike McDaniel has quite literally just grabbed every single Shanahan concept and just stretched it. It literally just like, it's like, it, it physically, it, you watch it and it feels like somebody took the Shanahan offense and hit like times two on the vertical plane and just like, boop, pulled everything twice as far down the field. Like they just run, because Tua and Waddle are so, or not Tua, excuse me, because Tyreek and Waddle are so fast, when they go to run like oh, a seven-step inbreaker, 
they don't run a seven-step inbreaker. They run like an 11-step inbreaker in the amount of time that other receivers would take to run a seven-step inbreaker. So they're way further down the field. So they just don't need the yak as much. It does, it's not as they made the field smaller. They basically made the field smaller. No, 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 no. Because they, they moved the routes further downfield. It's, it's not that they made the field smaller. It's that they took the, the range for the Shanahan offense that, that typically was like 0 to 15 yards, and they made it like 0 to 22. Right? They made like, the field bigger. Yeah. The, like, when you give Tyreek and Brandon Well, for them, Ayuk, the field is smaller, I guess. And when, when their plays are bigger, the field oh, no, I would say, like, like what the, the, the ground the defense has to cover is bigger. Yeah. Like, think about it this way. Like, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm calling, I'm calling, you know, we'll just do strike because like that's the most common one. Just like five step drop in the pocket, play action, in breaking route, right? Like the Packers run it all the time. The times where everybody runs this route. Google AJ Brown 2019 highlights. This is the route you're going to see. All right. So the timing for the quarterback is, you know, under center, head back, ball in the belly of the back, five step, hit the back foot, one hitch and throw. So the timing is the same for the quarterback in San Francisco and in Miami. But because Debo is running the route in San Francisco, he can only get, as fast as Debo is, 14 yards down the field of depth on this route. So that we're going to throw it at 14, because that's where our receiver can get. Well, McDaniel went to Miami, found Jalen Waddell, traded for Tyreek Hill, and said, let's run drift, 14 yards of depth, and then realized, like, Waddell and, and Hill are going at 75% speed, and they're getting to 14 yards of depth. So what? why don't we try this sucker at 20? Can we do that? Is that allowed? And just pulled everything. That's why like, I like physically, it's like yanked it further downfield and said, in, in the same amount of time, it takes two to, two to drop back, five-step strike, play action, footwork. Waddle can get further down the field than any of my receivers in San Francisco. Why wouldn't I take it? Why wouldn't I throw it? So if you go and you find my article for The Ringer, you'll see like Waddle and Tyreek combined have like, I want to say like 25 catches, 10 plus yards down the field between the numbers. And like the next closest receiver, the league has like eight. There's nobody else accesses this area of the field because there's no team that has enough speed to get there so fast. Anyway, Browns win. Yeah. <laughs> Jacoby Burkett, baby. There we go. Jacoby Burkett. All right, next game here. Steven, this is your good headline and or maybe a good meme. I don't know. I kind of like Monday memes. We might have to change it to that because. All right. So Cowboys are playing the Packers. This is the Mike McCarthy revenge game. So first of all, it's like this is a how the turntables moment because Mike McCarthy's fired. They get Matt LaFleur. The Packers immediately become the first team to win 13 games three years in a row. But now Mike McCarthy's Cowboys look great. The Packers are a disaster. And if Dallas wins, the Packers might not even make the playoffs. So, Stephen, who wins pa Packers Cowboys? And what is your headline on Monday morning? The Cowboys win. And my headline is Rodgers loses to X, sparking new love interest. Oh, that's actually really good. Why is it really good? Jordan Love interest. Oh, that's really good. I'm there. I'm in there. I like it. Well, I'll say this. I don't think it's going to happen, but give me some Jordan Love. It's, I think it's time to start seeing him, whether it's like uh, just a package, like trying to get him involved in the run game because he is more athletic than Aaron Rodgers. And like, I think you would be more willing to subject him to possible hits than Aaron Rodgers at this point in his career. And... I would say, like, for this game, it, would, it might actually work, like, putting Jordan Love on the field. Because I, I think we saw in the Philly game how much stress that put on the pass rush and the defensive line for Dallas. Because it's harder to just pin your ears back and rush the passer when you're dealing with play action, RPOs, and runs. And you have to worry about the run first and all, the, all these different considerations. And I think you get that just inherently with the Green Bay offense. But Aaron Rodgers how he's playing this year, like his approach makes it a lot easier to defend this offense, in my opinion. And I think getting love involved, even like on a part-time basis, I think would give them another layer to the offense that they need because they don't have that passing game. They could just bank on. So I think like investing more in the run game, which is kind of the only thing that is kind of working at the moment would help this offense a lot, especially in this matchup. But it isn't, because I don't know, I, I'm torn on Aaron Rodgers because part of me is like, look, obviously at some point Aaron Rodgers is the best player. He's gotten MVPs and all the credit when everything went right. And it makes sense to give him a lot of the blame when things go wrong. Having said that, I still feel like I, even last week, I know it was a disaster, but I'm like, he had like three bad throws. And otherwise, I feel yeah. like he was keeping them in the game. They had all these injuries on the line. Romeo Dobbs got hurt in like the first play or the first catch he had in the game. And I'm like, is taking Aaron Rodgers off the field actually not because you're, you're not even talking about like play Jordan Love as a start because like the season's over. You're saying. Taking 
Rodgers off the field on third and two so that Jordan Love can run like an read option? Is that really what's best? Or like first down, like throw him out there for a drive. Like I, I, I agree with you. Like in a vacuum, Aaron Rodgers is is far, far, far better than Jordan Love. And on like if you drop them into the same like a a replacement level offense, the Aaron Rodgers offense is going to do better. But like football isn't played in a vacuum. That's why you're seeing Geno Smith do so well in the Seahawks offense in a way that Russell Wilson, a more a better quarterback, is wasn't able to do. Like I think putting Jordan Love in this offense with the two back stuff they've been doing out of the gun, which has helped in the run game but not the pass game. I, I just think it gives them another edge and it gives you the defense another thing to worry about and it just makes Matt LaFleur's job a little easier, even if it doesn't make sense on paper. I don't know. They have to try something different because this is not working. Right. I will say, the one thing I'll push back, Matt LaFleur's job does not become easier by benching Aaron Rodgers. His job holistically definitely becomes harder. I, I disagree. I would say Matt LaFleur gets to do his job if a quarterback other than Aaron Rodgers plays because at that time, Matt LaFleur can now design and call the offense something that he has not really been able to do over the last few weeks so are you guys basically saying that this is like russell wilson in seattle where it's like everyone's like oh my god pete carroll you know why don't you pass the ball like let russ cook and then russ leaves and you're like oh look what happens when geno smith runs the offense in seattle it's good is there a world where if Jordan Love is on the Packers next year, you're like, oh, this offense actually looks better because he's doing no. what Matt LaFleur wants him to do and Rodgers is not r- running the offense as LaFleur wants no, him. No, because because Jordan Love isn't Geno Smith. Like, Jordan Love isn't going to stand in the pocket and go through his progressions like Geno Smith was doing even before this year. Well, he's younger, but you're saying that Rodgers is not running the offense the same way Russell Wilson was not running the offense. No, that's why I say I think it's a it's a good comparison because they are particular about the offenses they right. want to run. Like Aaron Rodgers is famously particular about the offenses he likes to run. He doesn't like to turn his back to the defense. He likes to be no in the motion. gun. Hates motion. Yeah, like that's what he likes. And it like it goes against everything that this scheme is built upon. And the same thing was true about Seattle last year, which is why in the offseason. I think Solak was with me too, even if he wasn't as high on Geno as I was, that I thought that the offense could be better even though they made, in a vacuum, a downgrade at quarterback. Yeah, I think that, I'll put it to you this way. There's a sensation in a veteran quarterback who's done this for a long, long time that eventually it's just like, I know best. Like, I know what I do well. I know what I don't do well. If we just would do this, then the offense works. And then, so if that if that sensation is universal to veteran quarterbacks, Different individuals handle that in different ways. Individuals like uh, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady have enough tenure and enough clout and enough like, you know, they're good communicators to just like install their own offense, right? They just like kind of like they walked into new teams and they were like, this is how I like all these routes to be run. And the offense coordinator was like, yep, like we're probably going to do it that way. You have your uh, Russell Wilsons who like did not like the way the offense was running would communicate that uh, internally to some degree. And then like outside would be like sunshine and daisies. We're all going to work very hard. And like, that's why the the comparison with the Rogers situation to Russ isn't one-to-one right now. It's because Rogers has no bones about being like, I don't like what's going on right now. And Russ for years was like, we're all competing go together. You know? Yeah. Like, go Hawks. Like, like, every, like the, the, the spirit is different. So just like internally, the offense is going to behave different. The coaches, the interpersonal relationship is all going to be different. Then you have, your Aaron Rodgers and like your Ben Roethlisberger's of the past couple years who are just like, like the, the term is hackneyed at this point, but they're quiet quitting. Like Rodgers just sits out there, takes a snap and then like turns to the sideline, flicks off Matt LaFleur and then does what he wants. Like that, uh, he does it 15 times a game in terms of like, the, you said like the bad throws. The one pick he threw that, that, that was a uh, tip, it was bounced off somebody's helmet and then went in the air and was intercepted in the end zone. He chucked that thing sidearm throw, falling backwards. He didn't need to. Stand up in the pocket, deliver overhand, buddy. Like you're, you've been a quarterback for 15 years. I think he knows that, though. I think he knows that, though, because when he won the MVPs he back does. to back, he did that by going back to fundamentals. Yeah. If you if you if you watch like a cut up of their RPOs, I think that's the best illustration of what we're talking about. Uh, Aaron Rodgers might be the worst RPO quarterback I've ever seen. Even though like they had success about like he, the the decisions he makes to give or throw the ball like make no sense. I know it sounds bad. Can you explain what a quarterback has to do in an RPO? So like an RPO, there's like different versions of it, but the main version... Which is a run-pass option. Yeah, a run-pass option is the quarterback like is usually in the gun. He can hand the ball off or he can usually throw a route that is meant to take advantage if the, the defense loads the box. 
So like he's usually reading a linebacker. And if the linebacker comes in, then it's like throw the ball where he left. And if the linebacker yeah. stays, hand the they ball They won't off block him. They won't account for him in like the blocking scheme. And if he drops out of the box and goes to guard like a slant route or, or a bubble screen, then they throw, then they hand it off. If he stays in the box, then they throw the bubble screen. Like there was a play against uh, Buffalo. They did like this counter RPO. It was really well designed actually. And the the run would have worked like it would have been like a 25 yard plus run because they had the numbers they had the blocking angles they pulled the guards or whatever which you do on a counter play and they had the edge but rogers inexplicably threw the bubble screen or tried to throw the bubble screen it wasn't there had to eat eat the ball and take a sack on an rpo where you could have just handed the ball off and got 20 yards but rogers even though the numbers weren't there, like the read was telling him to hand the ball off, decides to throw the flat because he thinks he's Aaron Rodgers. And he's like, this is what I do. I know, like I could throw that flat. And it worked when you had Devontae Adams breaking tackles after the fact. But when you don't have Devontae and you're throwing to just a dude out there, it doesn't work as well. And I don't think he's adjusted to that yet. And you see it on film each and every week, even though, like you said, 95% of his play it's still high-level stuff. It's still top 10 quarterback play. It's just that his approach to the offense is really holding it back. Okay, so Packers will be 3-7 and seven if they lose this game. So, I, I, good headlines, dude. That's a good one. All right, last one here. Uh, man, this is, this is... I can't wait for this. Excited. Indianapolis Colts. Colts. Cuts, whatever they are. Indianapolis Colts are at Las Vegas Raiders. This is incredible. So, uh, as people probably know by now, the Colts fired Frank Reich and they've hired Jeff Saturday to be their head coach. Jeff Saturday was uh, their center for the Indianapolis like a decade ago and just was coaching high school football for five years and has, pro- I believe he's the first NFL coach to ever have zero experience coaching in NFL or college at any level. <laughs> Never mind the full circleness of Frank Reich getting hired to coach the Colts because Josh McDaniels dipped on them like the day of their press conference. And then now they're playing Josh McDaniels and the Raiders. So there's a lot of things going on here. Solak, this is more material than anyone has had for any game in this entire segment we've been doing all year. So this better be good. Who wins Colts Raiders in Jeff Saturday's debut? And what is the headline and or meme on Monday morning? I'm going to start with the headline because since there's so much going on in this game, my headline is just what happened in Vegas with a large question mark and a large exclamation point at the end. Because no matter what occurs in this game, it will be extremely discombobulating. It'll be very terrifying. If the Colts win and Jeff Saturday is 1-0 as a head coach with Sam Ellinger and the way they've recently played, that's terrifying. If the Raiders win, like a big game, and the Colts are absolutely abysmal, then like Jim Ursay with just complete egg on his face for making this move and then getting embarrassed by the one that got away. I tried to think of Vegas shotgun wedding theme, but I couldn't get that to work. I think that Saturday is definitely the pun I would have gone with something on Saturday in Vegas. Well, I did have uh, one of my options was Jeff Sunday in the event that they won the game. And you're like, ah, now because he's a Sunday guy, not Saturday. But I felt like a little hanging fruit. The The third thing that might happen, though, is and this to me is the most likely outcome in this game. I think somebody wins like 11 to four. I, I, I there's no <laughs> there's no Darren Waller in this game. There's no Hunter Renfro in this game. Sam Ellinger looks atrocious, man. Just And I understand, like, playing the Patriots defense is never easy for a young quarterback, but he does not know where to, like, he'll, they'll run, like, a basic concept, and he'll snap the ball and not know which side his eyes are supposed to go to. Like, it, it is. So Roger Sherman wrote a great, con- winners and losers for the ringer this week, which he does every week, and he wrote about Sam Ellinger. Sam, so if you just net passing yards, which is just passing yards minus your sack yards, he had under two net passing yards per throw. And no quarterback the entire year has had under three. I thought he was going to like help the line by scrambling. He just doesn't at, at all. He doesn't know how to break the pocket. He just doesn't have a scripted response to anything. So like even when things are perfect, he's still like kind of guessing. And then when things get bad, like it's just a, t- a total nightmare. But on the other side of the ball, like the Raiders are defensively a terrible mess. But the, without their receiving options, it's just got to be the Devontae Adams show, which like Devontae Adams versus Stephon Gilmore, the most exciting matchup the 2020 season has ever had. Now in 2022, just feels like it doesn't matter at all, which is such a shame. Um, but I like I I don't anticipate a good game. I don't anticipate being able to learn anything about either of these teams. I expect ugly football. I expect embarrassing decisions. I expect bad fourth down decisions, bad coaching moves from both sides of the ball. And accordingly, what happened in Vegas? I think we'll be able to learn about these teams. It's just that the lessons aren't going to be very, very optimistic. I mean, like I like 
a, a Raiders running game beats the Colts run defense, and I'll be like, oh, good. Like, but they're already good. Like, I, I the the way these teams match up, I don't see like, I don't see the 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 Colts passing game provide or passing defense providing resistance to, or, or providing resistance to Derek Carr. I think the Colts run defense would provide good resistance to Josh Jacobs. Like, it just the way they match up is just like, yeah, the Raiders are this and the Colts are that, and I don't see us learning anything about either. I I. Like, what is the offense going to be for Indy? That's what I wanted to ask you guys. Like, what does Jeff Saturday literally do? Like, they fired Marcus Brady, the offensive coordinator. Like, how do they run it? Like, literally, since Jeff Saturday showed up, what does he even do? The other the other headline I had, if I really wanted to pick on the Colts, was Parks and Rec, but it's Rec spelled W-R-E-C-K because it would be a really bad game. And then oh, Parks Frazier is the name of the new play caller. But it felt really bad to pick on Parks Frazier, who was married by Frank Reich. And now he's getting his first opportunity to call plays after being like an assistant to the head coach three years ago. Incredible career mobility. Huge opportunity for him because the guy who was the efficient at his wedding got fired. And now Jeff Saturday is the head coach and there's nobody in the building who can call plays. I felt bad about that one. But Steven, so what does the offense do? I, I don't know. I don't even. Does, does Saturday know the playbook? Does what? I, I don't know. Like, that's what I'm asking. I, I don't know what this is going to look like. I'm assuming it's going to be a mess and it's going to be one of the worst games we've ever seen just because even beyond Jeff Saturday's capacity to do this job, it's a lot of turnover and turmoil with this this team right now. They fired their offensive coordinator two weeks ago. They're playing this quarterback who nobody expected to ever be in this position. Like, I thought when he was drafted, it was like, oh, there's a backup. He's a nice backup. He's going to be a backup. Now, he, not only is he starting, he's starting behind a terrible offensive line for a coach who don't, who's never done this before. And an offensive coordinator who I, I had never heard of before two days ago. Like, this is going to be a disaster. This is going to be and Nathan Peterman all over again. And the only way it won't be is because the Raiders are just as much of a mess as the Colts. The, the, the thing I'm most interested in, in is, like, I would love to be a fly on the wall on every Mark Davis, Jim Hersey conversation. I want to get invited yeah. to their dinner. <laughs> I want to party with them on Saturday night, on Jeff Saturday night. Well, because here's my thing. I think not only are there like the plays they're running, but every team kind of has their own like language for different, like, you know, the 32 teams, they're, they make a lot of different terms for even the same play and they have their own language. When Jeff Saturday has the headset on, he's not calling the plays, right? But he hears what the offensive coordinator is saying. When Parks Frazier, the, you know, the famous Parks Frazier is calling it a play, is Jeff Saturday even going to know what that play means when he hears it on Sunday? He will. There might be like, a couple where there's like some sort of like check or some sort of route where he like doesn't know what exactly the route is. But like, even though languages are different, generally like, you know, most of the words have, have flowed from one point to another. It's more like dialects than it is individual languages, right? It's not like, you know, you're going from German to French. You're like going just like all Latin languages, right? There's okay. going to be like crossovers. So I, I don't think that'll be too much of a concern. I bet you they run the ball an ungodly amount. He's an offensive lineman, and from from the way that he talks about football, it seems like he's going to have that perspective like that Vrabel brings to the Titans, where it's like, yeah, if we just play tough football and we're tougher than you, then eventually we'll win on the scoreboard, even though we're not going to pay attention to that, and we're not going to... He was like, I like points, so we're not going to go for it on fourth down. Have you been analyzing football? Like, you were an ESPN analyst. How are you an ESPN analyst, and you're going to say, I like points, so we're not going to go for it on fourth down? Like, this is the... the that, that That's incongruous. It doesn't make sense. There's a disparity there. So... I think they run, run the football a ton. I think they're going to try to play ball control stuff. They're going to have to run the same offense they've been running because that's what the team knows. You can't like install a new playbook. It's not like Jeff Saturday had a playbook. Maybe he had like a 20, 2008 Colts playbook. He like blew the dust off of. Has him learning the high school playbook he ran? Maybe brought in his high school book. <laughs> it is, here's, the, here's the thing I guess I'm wondering because I think there's two ways to look at this Jeff Saturday thing. On one hand, this is like the funniest thing that's happened all season. Like this is just hilarious this is insane they just brought this guy in because he knows jim Irsay. i also think it's it's dark in a way because i think obviously you know this is a slap in the face to you know a lot of coaches who have just worked very hard and actually been i mean they have john fox on staff like he has been a head coach and gone to the super bowl twice they had marcus brady like especially the black assistant coaches around the league who have worked very hard and like it's just about who gets the benefit of the doubt to do this job and obviously jeff saturday isn't getting the benefit of the doubt unless he's you know just friends with Jim Irsay, and overwhelmingly, it just seems, you know, white people are getting the opportunities with ownership to get the benefit of the doubt, and just who knows who, and it's very odd. But the other part of this is, like, literally, what is even a head coach's job? 
Like when Jim Irsay is at this press conference saying, I'm glad he doesn't have NFL experience. Like I actually think when people spend too much time in the NFL, they get worse. Like what is that coach's job? Even that the fact that a guy can just come in that wasn't part of the team from two months ago and be the head coach. I don't know, but if Ursay thought that, why is this the first time he's applied it to hiring? He's had a chance yeah. to hire multiple coaches. He's full of shit is what he's what the thing is. That's why he tried to deflect any question, any valid question about the hiring process in regard to like the Rooney rule. And the thing that he couldn't say was, oh, we are following the Rooney rule because it doesn't apply to interim hires. And like that's the reason why he's not going to come out and say that is because that's kind of saying the quiet part loud. Like you're saying... The only reason we even hire minority or talk to minority candidates is to comply with the rule. When when they don't affect the actual hiring process, you get shit like this. Yeah, I think that that a lot of what Ursay says about like why he hired Saturday as a head coach is based off of like, man, I used to see Jeff Saturday in the halls in 2011, and I thought he had a great mind for the game. I like talking with him, and I was like, you could be a coach someday, son. Because when he first retired Saturday. Ursay tried to hire him to be in the front office, right? Like you see this a lot, like, you know, like Connor Barwin did this from the Eagles when he retired. Like the locker room guy loved him. He like interacted a ton with the coaching staff, was a locker room dude. So when he retired, they were like, hey, come like be a special consultant to the scouting staff. And you just get to hang around the building a little bit more. You get to see how the front office works. You see what the schedule is like. Gives you an opportunity to say, okay, do I want to become a scout? Do I want to try to get into, you know, John Lynch world and general manage? Like kind of how do I want to, to go about this, right? So they tried to hire him for that Saturday to like it. But I think that like Ursay has always just had this opinion of Jeff Saturday that he's the man. And then Ursay fired Frank Reich. And it's really important to note that I don't think Ursay knew he was firing Frank Reich to hire Je- Jeff Saturday until maybe about 24 hours before he did it, right? Like uh, Zach Kiefer of The Athletic has a wonderful piece about how uh, Ursay called Saturday during the game on Sunday against the Patriots and was like, yo, what's wrong with our protection? Like, are you watching? What's wrong with our line? Why can't we pass protect? And then the next day, he hired Saturday to be the interim, which if I was going to hire a guy to be an interim, and the day before I fired my head coach, I called him, I would broach that topic. I'd be like, hey, do you interim? How does it feel like if I make a move, you want to whatever? No, he just wanted to talk protection. And then within 24 hours, he convinced himself to hire Saturday. So all of his justifications are bupkis. Everything is just noise and words he says to get through the press conference. And as Steven says, He's, allowed, he's enabled to do this, just bang, hire Jeff Saturday, don't talk to anybody else, because it's in an interim capacity. If this were a real head coaching cycle, right, a, a, a real process, you would never do this. You would go through the interviews, right? Like the, the Texans with Josh McCown, where they tried to interview McCown, and then everybody was like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. And the Texans were like, ah, we were going to hire Lovey the whole time. Like, like you know, like it, it, you couldn't pull this off if this were not an interim capacity. So Ursay just likes Jeff Saturday as a dude. He saw an opportunity to get him in the building. He took it. And then you just fill everything else with lies and noise until eventually the, the national media moves on to looking at something else. And I, I said this on, a, on the Power Rankers pod, like anyone trying to force the, oh, he's zigging when the rest of the league is zagging. This is interesting. It could be like a, a bold strategy. That assumes that, that Jim Ursay actually knows what's going on and, know, and has, a good, has his, his thumb on the, the pulse of the rest of the league. That man does not know what's going on as evidenced by this hire. Mike Lombardi, who used to work at the ringer, would always said this phrase that despite what the NFL is itself is like a powerhouse business. The individual teams are just billion dollar lemonade stands. So I've never felt stronger about my, my uh, bit about being able to just get in the room with one of these owners for 10 minutes and I'll never have to work for my life. If it's Ursay, I only need like three minutes. Also, don't forget, the funniest part, possible outcome, however, is that the Colts beat the Raiders, and now the Raiders have Josh McDaniels, and they're traded away their first-round pick, and they end up 2-7. and seven. Having lost to Jeff Saturday, I was never coached before, yes. <laughs> and now it's like, does Mark Davis have to fire Josh McDaniels? Yeah, Mark Davis fires him and hires Donald Penn to be head coach or something yeah, like just, that. Just get Rodney Hudson <laughs> off of the, the Cardinals IR and bring him yeah. in to be the coach. That would be incredible. All right, that's all we got. Thank you, Ben Solak. Thank you, Stephen Ruiz. Thank you to everybody for listening. This has been the Ringer NFL Preview Show.
This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.